Welcome to Everyday Motherhood, the podcast hosted by Christy Thomas. We are here to talk about play, self-care, and how to just enjoy this crazy wild ride called motherhood. Thanks for listening. I hope this show inspires you to pause, connect, and play more every single day. To find out more about me, go check out playforlifemoms.com, www.play4lifemoms.com. Welcome today to Carla Nomberg. She's a writer, speaker, and clinical social worker. She is the author of a brand new parenting book, and it's called How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids. Carla is a mom to two, and she and her husband and her insane cats live outside of Boston. I am so glad you're here, Carla. Good morning. I'm delighted to be here. Fantastic. So um, tell us a little bit about your family and how you uh, started to lose it. Um, so my family, uh, you know, my husband of almost 16 years, and we have two daughters, a um, full-on tween, she's 10 and a half, and then our younger daughter just turned nine, and she's not quite a tween yet, but I'm sure, you know, by the time this podcast airs, she will be, because things change that fast. Uh-huh. How I started to lose it, uh, I became a parent. That was really um, what set it off. Before I had kids... I didn't really consider myself a yeller. I mean, you know, my older sister and I would get into it a lot when we were kids and teenagers, but that totally does not count um, Mm -hmm. because teenagers. And uh, I really wasn't a yeller in my personal or professional life until I had children. And, um, you know, we had our daughters pretty close together. They're about 20 months apart. And by the time they were toddlers, I was losing it with them on a pretty regular basis. Wow. Okay. So I have similar. My um, daughters are about 18 months apart around that same age gap. And yeah, when you have two little toddlers, it's really hard to keep your stuff together. It was really hard. And um, in those early years, I really thought it was because I was not a good enough mother. I really thought it was because I was a bad mother. And those were the thoughts that were running through my head all the time, which I didn't realize it at the time, actually made it more likely that I would lose my temper with them again. Um, Because when you're walking around in a haze of feeling awful about yourself, it's really hard to respond to someone else with compassion and kindness and patience. Um, And what I didn't realize at the time, what it took me years to figure out, is that my mommy meltdowns were actually a symptom of some bigger issues I was struggling with, like postpartum anxiety and sleep deprivation and exhaustion, uh, stuff like that. But it took me a long time to put those pieces together. Yeah, I really like what you're saying here about how you can't work on being a calmer, less lose-it parent if you're telling yourself you're already a bad parent. Yes, this is this is actually a point I make in the book um, where I, I make the claim in the book and I totally believe this that there are no bad parents 
and no bad kids. And people will say to me, but parents do some pretty awful things and kids do some pretty awful things. And I know, I, you know, as a social worker, I've been inside people's homes. I've worked with children um, who could no longer live with their families because they were so unsafe. And here's how I prefer to think about it. Instead of saying there are bad parents or bad kids, let's talk about parents who are struggling. Parents who don't have the resources or information or support they need. Parents who aren't making the most skillful choices. And by skillful choices, I mean choices that bring us closer to our goals, whether that's to have a closer relationship with our children, to be more patient and calm with them, um, to spend more time with them, whatever it may be. And the reason I prefer that language is I think that when you start talking about being a bad parent, there's just a whole lot of shame that goes on there. You get stuck in this like really crappy place. There's, it's paralyzing really. And I remember that feeling so well. And when we can talk about, you know, I don't have, and I didn't have the information, the support, the resources, the knowledge that I needed, then from there you can start to think, okay, what do I need and how can I start to get it? So. I think um, how we think about ourselves as parents really can have a tremendous effect on our ability to grow and change and heal and become the kind of parent we want to be. So I absolutely do not think there are bad parents or bad kids. I like I had to do a full stop when I was reading your book and I came to that paragraph because um, I'm coming to the table as a mom, right, and actively parenting, but I've also taught in some inner city schools um, before I had my kids. And I totally agree with you that there are kids and parents that are struggling. And that mindset shift of taking it into that growth mindset, right? Of that we just need more tools or need more support is huge. So you had some tools, right? Were you already a social worker before you had your kids? Oh, yeah. I was a social worker for years. I was working my way through a, I had a master's degree. I was working my way through a doctorate in clinical social work. And it really didn't matter. Like, none of those tools felt relevant at all. And um, I remember one night, here I am, I was getting a PhD in what I consider like, you know, confusing thoughts and big feelings was mm -hmm. basically what my degree was in. And I literally sat down at Google and typed into Google, how do I stop yelling at my kids? I, I was so at a loss. I couldn't translate my professional knowledge into my personal life. Um, and it was really that night that started to turn things around for me. So yes, I was a social worker, but I was completely unable to diagnose my own postpartum anxiety. Right. Um, it just, it wasn't relevant. Yeah. <laughs> and I just want to, I just want to share that with parents that you already had all this practical experience with other people. Um, because sometimes especially if you don't have a background in those sort of things, you figure that you're the only one that doesn't have it together. If you were just more of an expert, then you would be able to pull it together and not lose your shit anymore. Oh, yeah. And I think all of us hold this fantasy that, that there is someone out there who is getting through every moment of parenting with grace and patience and kindness. And um, no, that's... That's BS. I call BS on that one. Like, it's just not true. Like, there are no, none of us. And we all have different struggles, right? I, I, I would like to believe that there is a parent out there who's, who says to their child, please go put on your shoes, and the child just does it. <laughs> I feel like I just need to believe that that's a possibility in the world. 
but uh, that's certainly not my experience, and I, I haven't met that many parents who report that that's their experience. But we all have different struggles, um, and in all honesty, some some kids' struggles are harder and more intense and more challenging than others. For some families, the match between the parent and the child is particularly challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of us, whether it's the parent or the child, we just show our feeling, feel our feelings more intensely and more loudly and more expressively out in public in the dairy aisle of the grocery <laughs> store. And other parents really appear to have it together. But I promise you, um, even though the details are different, nobody, nobody gets through this parenting experience, you know, unscathed, really. Yeah. So um, I think this ties in to exactly what your grandpa told you when you were holding your new baby. Um, can you tell us that story? Because it was in your book. Can you share that? Yeah. So um, I, we, I had just given birth to my first daughter a few hours before, and we were calling everyone to tell them the news. And of course, everyone's saying to me, congratulations. This is amazing. What a beautiful time in your life. Enjoy every moment, blah, blah, blah. And then we called my grandfather and told him. And his response was, well, it's a crisis, but you'll get through it. And so he had four kids, my grandfather. And I remember thinking, God, Pop-Pop, what is wrong with you? You're such a cranky old man. And um, it wasn't until years later that I realized he was the only one speaking the truth. Becoming a parent is absolutely a crisis. And if you look up the definition of a crisis, it's a time of tremendous change when a lot of decisions need to be made. And if there was ever a better description of becoming a parent, I don't know what it is. Um, And it was a crisis and I didn't treat it as such. I didn't understand that because in a crisis, we kind of slow everything down. We take the unnecessary things off our plate. Ideally, we have a whole lot of compassion for ourselves and other people as we understand we're going through this really intense time. And I just sort of thought, I literally thought I would like deliver the baby a few hours later, get up, walk away, go do my stuff, get back to life with just a baby around. Like I had no idea that first of all, you really can't walk after you deliver a baby. At least I couldn't. I had giant babies. So yeah, um, there are so many things that are uncomfortable right after you've had a baby. Sitting was uncomfortable for a while for me. Oh my God. All of it. And so, you know, looking back, um, I really feel like, my grandfather's advice or his response, which was twofold. He acknowledged it was a crisis and then he said, but you'll get through it. You had your kids, Carla, and they're 20 months apart and you're got toddlers now and you're Googling how not to yell at your kids. So how did you make that transition to not losing it? No, it was super easy. I just decided not to lose it and I stopped losing it. That is not how it happened. Um, So here's what happened. That night, you know, there are literally like millions of websites about how to stop yelling at your kids. So if you ever, if the listeners out there are ever wondering if they're alone in this, you are 100% not alone. Go Google it. Literally millions of websites. So I'm getting all these lists of things to do instead of losing it with my kids. You know, take a deep breath, run up and down the stairs, count to 10, um, whisper at your children instead of yelling, which I have to say I tried it once. And it's angry creepy. whispers, they come out as really creepy. They're yeah. really creepy. Yeah. I've tried that. I think I've read it. Um, and I think I have like five more books on my bookshelf about how to stay calm. But yours yeah, is the best so far. 
So oh, whisper didn't work. No, sir. Um, and so I had this list and I was like, I'm just going to do this list. I'm just going to do these things. And we all know how that story ended. Like 24 hours later, I was yelling at my kids again with the added bonus of feeling really guilty about it. Well, even more guilty, I should say, because I was like, well, all these other people who wrote about this on the internet aren't losing it at their kids. So why am I losing it at mine? <laughs> and so I was like, wait, wait, I am a professional. I am a researcher. I can research and think my way out of this problem. So I was like, I don't need these like Huffington Post websites. I need the serious academic literature. So I start Googling, you know, in the, you know, Google Scholar, whatever, um, anger management, frustration tolerance, like parenting, all these whatever fancy terms. And I start reading these articles. And at the bottom of every article, there is this little section that says for further research, you know, it seems like mindfulness would help these parents. You know, further <laughs> research should be done on the effects of mindfulness. And I was like, ugh, barf, gag, I'm totally not doing that. That is for weirdos and hippies and I'm not doing it. <laughs> and so, because that was my attitude back then, which was um, not helpful actually. Surprisingly not helpful to have that attitude. So I continue to yell at my kids. And finally in this moment of utter defeat, I was like, fine, I'll try the stupid mindfulness stuff. Blech. And so I signed up for an eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction course. It's also called MBSR. And I spent eight weeks, and it was like two hours a week plus a whole day on a weekend. It was a big time commitment learning about yoga and meditation, but also more importantly about how our brains and bodies work and what what is happening to us when we lose it. And it was surprisingly awesome. Um, and also about compassion. That was a big part of the course and that was, all of this was really game changing for me. And really what I learned about is that it's not a matter of willpower. Like I don't know anybody who just suddenly decided to not lose their temper with their kids and then they were like, oh, and I just didn't yell at them. Like I've never heard that work. I love that you're saying that because yeah, um, I've read so many blog posts or heard playground chatter and yeah, there seems like everyone thinks there's going to be a magic wand that they can wave and they instantly will not be a yeller or a book slammer because it doesn't have to be yelling how you lose it. That's a good one. I'd never slam my book. <laughs> I don't need enough hard copies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are lots of different ways, right? Like yelling oh. is just the easy one to spot. Oh, I grew up with yellers and door slammers. Ooh. That was a big one. Um, I've talked to parents, um, like throwing remote controls. I've heard of that one a lot. Throwing um, handheld phones. Not People don't tend to throw their cell phones as much because I think they're expensive. Right. But like house phones. Um, also just really snarky, crappy comments. Um, and even if you're not yelling, just like, Ugh, what is wrong with you? Like stuff like that. And the way I think about whether or not you're losing it is, does it feel kind of out of control and what I call toxic, which means it's your response is disproportionate to the situation and it's scary to the kid. Um, and the same behavior can be toxic or not depending on the situation. So if my child is about to run into the street and I grab her arm really hard and yank her, I would actually not call that losing your shit. but 
you know, if she's not leaving the park and I'm getting increasingly pissed off and finally I'm like, get over here, and I just yank her really hard, that might be losing your shit. So I think that the context of what is happening is really important. But yes, there are many different ways to lose it with your kids, and it's important to just, like, learn your own, be able to recognize, okay, this is me losing it. And my husband, who does not lose it nearly as much as I do, mm-hmm. when he does, he doesn't yell. He's just not a yeller, but he'll, you know, he'll use kind of a harsh tone. Mm-hmm. Um, happens far less often than with me. But for him, that's losing it. Whereas for me, I'm like, okay, I didn't yell, so that's good. I'm going <laughs> to take that as a win. So, um, but as I was learning about the mindfulness, I, I basically started learning, I started to think about it with the words or the concepts of buttons and triggers. Oh, okay. Tell us more about yeah. that. Yeah. So this is how I want people to think about it. Um, it's all about, and you can, folks can read about this in the book, but you know, when we're losing it, it's really about our nervous system going into overdrive. It's about what I call the fight, flight, freeze, or freak out reaction, right? Mm-hmm. So we've all heard of fight or flight. And generally when we're pretty pissed at our kids, we're not going to like fight them. I really hope you're not fighting your child, like physically fighting. And if you are hitting them, I, I really encourage you to take a break and get some help because that needs to stop. And Right. Admit you know, it. Yeah. But, be and, brave. And, really, and, and, and there but for the grace of God go I, really. It's, Absolutely. You know, so, um, and, you know, hopefully you're not running away from your kids, although I have been known to lock myself in the bathroom from time to time. Um, I literally go on runs to get away with my from my kids so I go on runs every day right like I that's why I choose running as my exercise I think you like see ya Uh uh-huh so um you know some parents do freeze up and that is a thing kind of disassociating Mm -hmm. and freezing but for many of us we we do the freak out because we've got all this tension and energy and our body is like I have to do something and so we freak out and yell so the way I think about that, because it's really awkward to talk about your nervous system every time, is I talk about it that your buttons are getting big and bright and red and sensitive and super duper pushable. And as any person who's ever been in an elevator with a child knows, the minute a kid sees a button, they're going to jam their finger in it. Like push. poke, 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 mm-hmm. poke, push. So when we are triggered, and we'll talk about that in a minute, our buttons get very bright and sensitive and very easily pushable. And I've been, you know, I can get to a stage where I'm such a big, red, bright, glowing button that literally my kids can walk in the room and look at me and I'm like, get out, get away from me. I cannot, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and the things that set our buttons off are our triggers. So triggers can be anything from exhaustion to pain, grief, um, you know, a, a, crappy interaction with a boss or a compete like maybe your friend said something that you're like what did that mean or you got a weird text message from your mother-in-law or all of a sudden you know you're you got some you heard something on the news maybe that happens to all of us I mean this is a really stressful time news wise and so yeah I think we're triggered by our phone when we don't give us enough we don't realize how connected we are and how often we're being triggered by lots of little things and then at least that's how what I'm realizing after reading your book about how easy it is to be triggered um, without me really realizing just because of the world around us. You are 100% correct. And there are so many things on our phone can trigger us. You log on to Facebook and suddenly you see that a friend of high, friend from high school who you haven't thought about in 20 years has died and that feels awful and scary. Or you see the news 
and you're like, oh my gosh. Or my favorite is you see some um, blog post by somebody about the dangers of something that you are doing with your child, like peanut butter, or you're using the wrong um, humidifier, and actually you shouldn't be using humidifiers, or you should, or you know, we just found out that this brand of sunscreen is actually terrible for your kid. Like all those things. And we get, this is coming at us all day long or Mm -hmm. you go onto Instagram and you're like, Oh yeah, my friend just ran a marathon and then baked perfect brownies for the bake sale. And her kid just had this amazing piano recital. And my kid is literally melting down on the couch. Right. Because we're seeing everyone's highlight reels all the time. That's right. That's right. Phones are super triggering And many of us walk around triggered pretty much all the time and never really realize it because sometimes it manifests in our thoughts as like anxious, worried, stressed out, angry thoughts, but often it's in our bodies and we carry this tension and stress in our bodies and don't realize it. And so we're triggered and the trigger, it may have something to do with your kid. Like maybe you got an email from the school being like, we think your child needs to be tested for ADHD or, you know maybe they're they're in some new phase that you don't understand and can't deal with or they stink right. and they don't want to shower like who knows <laughs> right but i'm very clear in the book i i feel like we can't think of our kids as triggers even though they can absolutely be triggering because there's not a whole lot we can do about it if they're the triggers like we can take space but that's about controlling our own behavior and obviously we want to work with our kids on getting you know teaching them how to behave like functional human beings in the world but they're going to keep doing what they do and we have to learn how to take care of ourselves so we're not triggered by them. So we can't look at our kids as triggers because then we're making our behavior, our behavior dependent on someone else's behavior. Is that right, Carla? That's 100% correct. And, and really, do you want to sort of hinge your reaction on the behavior of a two-year-old or a 12-year-old? Like, do you want to wait till <laughs> no. that kid starts behaving in a sane, rational way before you're going to pull it together. And you might also say, but what if my trigger is my mother-in-law or my boss or my neighbor down the street? Well, then in those situations, you can start to think about where can you put up boundaries? Where can you get some more space? What are the relationships that you really shouldn't be in anymore at all? And I have absolutely had friendships where I've had to say, to myself, I I can't spend time with this person anymore because every time I'm with them, I feel confused or ashamed or I start to doubt myself. And it doesn't mean the other person's a bad person. It means they're not a good match for you right now. Um, And so the first step to managing our triggers is to just figure out what they are. And the really fun thing about parenting is it exposes triggers you didn't even know you had. That's a good time. That is, right? Because... Because now you can take a deep breath and figure out what is actually bothering you. That that was a huge part of me reading this chapter on triggers and hearing about what your triggers are. And one of your biggest trigger was not getting enough sleep, right? Oof. This, If I was going to say the two things that contributed the most to my really initial struggles in parenting, it was my anxiety and the lack of sleep. And part of the lack of sleep was because I had little babies, but part of it was because even when they were sleeping, I would lie in bed at night worrying. Um, And so for me, the first steps to really getting myself under control was once I started practicing mindfulness, um, and I, that's basically what this whole book is about, but mm-hmm. I don't really use the M word that much because I'm, I, I want people to feel this is accessible and you don't have to go sit and meditate for 20 days to do this. So 
Um, but the two things I did were uh, I started treating my anxiety both in therapy and with some medication and I made sleep an absolute priority and you know nearly a decade later it still is one of the top priorities in my life and I have made some major changes in my life in order to get more sleep. So if you could give a parent, a mom, one tip to get more sleep, just one tip or how did, what would you tell her? Because I'm sure most of us are down on sleep and it's a huge trigger. The, The data is very clear that we are not getting as much sleep as we could. So I have two tips for parents. Okay. Um, and, and obviously a lot more in the book. Yeah. One is make sleep a priority in your life. So decide that it matters and decide that you can take it seriously. Cause I still hear from a lot of parents like, haha, sleep is for when I'm dead or when the kids have moved out of the house or whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 that's a college joke. We're not doing that anymore. Like we are moved past that. Take your sleep seriously. Like figure out what you need to do to get more sleep. Sometimes it's enough to sort of shift things around in your bedroom. Sometimes you need to see a sleep specialist, but there are things you can do. Um, and to, to really be like, no, sleep matters, and I'm going to work on this. Because if you were a parent and your kid wasn't sleeping, you wouldn't be like, oh, well, they're not sleeping. I'll just wait till they're growing up, and then it's their problem. You would keep working on this. So do that for yourself. And the other thing I would say is um, you will have days when you don't, nights when you don't sleep, days when you are exhausted. That happens mm-hmm. to all of us. It happens to me still. Because you're, you know, I was just up in the middle of the night with a kid with an ear infection and I was exhausted the next day. Oh, yeah. So what I would say is when that happens, acknowledge that it's a thing, that being exhausted is a very real thing and that you can't just power through it, that you need to slow down. You need to focus on your priorities for the day. Take the things you don't need to do off your plate and have a whole lot of compassion for yourself. Like, remember that human beings are not designed to function at our best when we're exhausted and that we are far more likely to lose our shit when we're tired and when you can slow down and remember to be compassionate to cut yourself some slack it's going to make the day a whole lot easier I I fully agree I know that when I can remember to talk to myself like I would a girlfriend if she had called me on the phone and told me about her middle of the night woes with a kid and not being able to sleep or some anxiety that kept her awake, I would be like, what can you do? Put on the movie. What's going to be your easy dinner sort of stuff. But that's not not the default of how I treat myself when I'm in that situation. So I'm working really hard to do that. Can you imagine if our friends called us up because they just lost it with their kids and we were like, yeah, you're actually a shitty parent. I can't believe you did that. We would never say that to our friends. And we would not tolerate friends who say that to us. So why do we tolerate saying it to ourselves? It's not, it's not and it's a hard thing to switch. It is. Yep. I mean, I can still tell you exactly where I was and what I was doing <clears throat> the first time I thought, wow, maybe I'm a good mother. That's it amazing. Such, it was such a shocking thought that... It's like, you know, we all know where we were when the space shuttle Challenger blew up. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm not comparing these two. I don't want to compare these no, two. No, no, but yeah, but it's, it's uh, frozen in memory, the value yeah, of the it. Same way that these like huge moments stick in your brain, um, that moment is really in my brain. That, yeah, soak that in, guys, because we all need to know, because I'm, 
we all know, we've already said it, right? There's no bad parents and no bad kids. There are parents and kids that need more support. And so if there's no bad parents and no bad kids, then you're closer and much more likely to already be a good parent in lots of ways. So you need to give yourself credit. Absolutely. And if, if listeners, if you are hearing what she just said and you're thinking, oh no, but she doesn't know me. She doesn't <laughs> know what just happened in my house. You know, and then, and now you're listing off all the things that you've done that you think are not good parenting. Stop, stop that thought and maybe change it with parenting is hard. Parenting is hard for all of us. And I don't have to be a perfect parent to be a good parent. And I can lose it with my kids and still be a good parent. And I just need to go take a break or spend some time with people who love me and are going to speak really nicely to me and say happy things. Right. You know, but really, once you notice those thoughts coming, because they will come, you're never going to be able to block them completely. The trick is to catch them, to notice them, and then to start replacing them with other thoughts. And if you can't do that yet, because it really is like learning to speak a new language, call up somebody who can help you with that. And the more they speak that language to you, that language of kindness and compassion, the more you're going to learn to speak it to. I love that. This seems like a really, like the perfect way to feed your inner calm so that you can keep going on that path, right? Because we repeat what we do the most. So if you're losing it the most, or if you're speaking to yourself unkindly in that mental banter the most, then that's where you're going to get stuck. Absolutely. And the way I think about it is whatever we practice at, we get, quote, better at. And I'm mm. not saying better in a good way, but right. whatever we Proficient. Practice, it, yeah. Yes. It becomes easier to do it. And so if what we're practicing is berating ourselves, we're going to get really good at that. And so can you practice interrupting that negative headspace with anything? Sing a song, count to 100, say a prayer, repeat a mantra, remind yourself you're a good parent. Like, just when you find yourself in that really awful defeating headspace, can you interrupt it and do something else? Okay, so say you did lose it on your kids. You lost all your patience with the transition of getting out the door and the shoe tying and all this stuff. So how do you recover? This is such an important question because I feel like there's a ton of advice out there about the things we should be doing so we don't explode at our children. But there's very little about what to do after it happens. And that really matters. How we behave after we explode makes a huge difference, not only in terms of how we feel, how our kids feel, our ability to start to repair our relationship with them, and also um, whether or not we're going to lose it again in the near future. So what I used to do was like stomp off and doing these thoughts about what a bad parent I was and how annoying my kids are. And then sometimes I'd shove a bunch of chocolate in my mouth. Oh yeah. Like, cause you're the worst. Like you, yeah, yeah. you, I start to prophesize doom and like, like, okay, this kid is going to just eat Cheetos in my basement forever. Now I should just give up or really fund the therapy instead of the college. Like I've scarred them forever. mm -hmm. That's right. So what I recommend instead is first that you get calm with compassion and kindness. So it's really, if we believe that our meltdowns are our own responsibility, like we need to take responsibility for the behaviors that lead to the explosions, then calming ourselves down is our responsibility too. And it's the first place to start. 
because a lot of parents will try to reconnect with their kids before they've calmed down. Mm. And chances are those parents are still triggered. Their buttons are still big and huge and bright. And so if the kid doesn't respond perfectly, if the kid isn't like, oh, I'm sorry too. I'm so sorry I threw that ball in the house and broke your favorite window. I don't know if anybody has a favorite window. But, uh-huh. you know what I'm but yeah. Um, you know, we're going to lose it at them again. And so we have You're not to ready to reconnect yet. That's right. And so that looks different for everyone. For me, often what I will do is I will say to my kids, I need to go take a break. Um, and they know that now. They know what that means. It took me a long time to be able to say it. I'll often um, either go outside because my kids are old enough now that mm-hmm. I can walk away from them in that way. Or I'll go in the kitchen. I put my hands flat on the countertop because there is something about feeling kind of a a steady, firm surface under my hands that for Mm -hmm. me is very calming. I take a lot of deep breaths. Sometimes if I still have a ton of energy in my body, I'll like turn on music or dance around a little bit, do something really silly, make some silly noises. Um, Because for me that works. But I have a whole list of options in the book because every parent needs something different to calm them down. And then once I'm really calm, I will apologize to my children. And I've talked to many parents who are shocked, absolutely shocked by the idea that we would apologize to our kids. And they seem primarily concerned that they're going to sort of undermine their own authority, that the kid won't take them seriously, or that by apologizing, they're letting the kid off the hook. Because look, sometimes we lose it and our kid really hasn't done anything wrong. But sometimes we lose it because our kids have been totally obnoxious. And so when I apologize to the child, I take responsibility for my behavior. Right. I am sorry I screamed at you. I should not have done that. I might offer a little context, Mm -hmm. um, perhaps by saying, I'm exhausted today, or I was really frustrated by your behavior. Yeah. Um, And then once we, I feel like we've reconnected a little bit and, you know, it might take the child a while to want to sort of re-engage. They might be pretty scared or mad at us. Mm-hmm. Chances are they'll, you know, our, our kids are desperate to be in connection with us. So chances are it won't take that long. But once we've sort of re-engaged, then if, if your child's old enough, I mean, with a two-year-old, you can just sort of say, and I need you to put on your shoes. But with an older kid, you might say, you know, it's pretty frustrating for me when I ask you again and again, and you don't do this thing. No, mm-hmm. one thing I would caution parents against is, Try not to use so many words because when we use a lot of words, (laughs) you know, remember the peanuts, the teacher in peanuts that was like, so eventually that's what our kids are going to hear. So when you do your apology and then when you try to talk to your kids about whatever their role may have been, make it brief. Don't go on forever. Like I just did. Yeah, no, I totally do that. That's totally my downfall of my apologies is that. I know that I sound like the Charlie Brown teacher. And I'm like, oh, I've lost them. I can see the glaze over their eyes happening. Yeah. And when when that happens, just stop. You can just stop talking because they're not listening anyway. So it doesn't matter. And the other thing I would say is this is also a great strategy to deviate a little bit, to to get kids to do what we need them to do for cooperation. Because if we say to our children, well, it's time to leave the house and I really want to be on time for school. So I'm going to need you to go get your shoes out of the closet and put them on your feet and make sure you tie them well, blah, blah, blah. The kid's not going to hear the message. So you can say something like, hey, shoes now. And you don't have to say it in a mean barky voice, but just those three words, you know, they're going to know what it means. That's perfect. Okay. So 
Do you have a tip you want to share at all, Carla? Because this is going to come out um, right before your book comes out. So it's the Friday before your book release. And there's still a couple weeks left of summer for most people. Do you have a tip for the rest of the summer for parents to keep it together? My number one surprise tip that you guys probably haven't thought about for not losing your shit with your kids is to focus on doing one thing at a time. I call it single tasking. But I have found, both in my personal experience and my professional experience working with families, that one of the most common causes of parental explosions is when parents are multitasking and then the kid comes in with one more question or one more request, or there's a squabble between the kids, or they're whining about something, and it's like you have 37 tabs open on your internet browser and somebody opens one more tab and the computer just freezes and smoke starts coming out the back and everything falls apart and you lose it. You sound like, Carla, that this has happened to you and that you maybe have been a fly on the wall and had it (laughs) seen me do this. Literally, it's such a common thing because we're growing up or living in this culture that is like multitasking is amazing. You, You know, I mean, how many jobs um, descriptions have you seen that say ability to multitask required? I think almost every single job right now. That's right. And yet it's not a thing. Our brains can't do it. Our brains jump back and forth between the tasks. And in that lag time, when they're trying to catch up with the next thing, we are far more likely to um, drop things, break things, forget things, say things we don't mean, tweet things we don't mean. Hello, popular culture. Uh huh. Um, and all of those are triggers. And so if you are the kind of mom, and I I personally would never do this, so I'm not speaking from experience, who stands at the stove, you know, trying to (gasps) stir the noodles because all my kids eat is pasta. Um, Amen to that. You know, you're like sort of occasionally checking your phone to see if your friend texted you back. And then you've got one kid who's like, mommy, how do you spell banana? And then you've got another kid who's like, I don't have any toilet paper. And you're trying to do all these things at once. And then like the littlest things happen and all of a sudden you're yelling and you're like, how did I get there? We were having a pleasant evening. Yeah. So, you know, can you put your phone down? Can you put it in the other room? I mean, really, if it's in the room, Mm -hmm. none of us can avoid it. So put it in the other room. Can you say to your kids, I'm making dinner right now. I'll help you when I'm done. And that is something you really have to train your children and yourself on. And even if it's something as simple as stirring the noodles, you don't want to burn the noodles and you don't want to spill that. That could be really dangerous and you don't want to yell at your kids. So really, whenever you can, especially when you're with your children, focusing on one thing at a time is going to decrease your stress, decrease the power to your buttons and make it less likely you're going to lose it with your kids. I love that um, tip right there. It's, yeah, I think if you pause right now and think back about the last time that you lost it, however that looks like for you, um, you were probably doing more than one thing at once. Totally. Because I was. <laughs> oh, yeah, we all are. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a major sort of personal, professional, and cultural shift. Um, but it's a really powerful one. And I think our, as a culture, we're starting to move in that direction with mindfulness and flow and focus and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. I, I can see that. I, I hope that the trend picks up steam and so we can all feel okay with not having to have maximum productivity all the time and really value people um, in that one-on-one moment with them. 
and it just makes parenting easier and more fun. It really does. Excellent. Okay, so at the end of every episode, I end with a self-care task and a play idea. Um, I put this in the interview questions, but I forgot to ask you beforehand. Do you have um, any like small self-care tasks? I know that self-care is things that parents should do to take care of themselves. I like how you said that in the book. (laughs) Yeah, so in the book, I actually call it shit you have to do if you don't want to lose your shit with your kids. Right. Exactly. I call it um, that we need to parent ourselves before we can parent our kids. 100%. So my favorite self-care task really is self-compassion. And I love this one because we can practice it at any time. It doesn't require money. It doesn't require getting away from our kids. We don't have to hire a babysitter. You know, you don't have to drop on the floor and start meditating. All it is is talk to yourself the way a good friend would talk to you. Can you hold those thoughts? And when you find yourself beating yourself up, come back to those, you know, kind, supportive, forgiving, understanding thoughts. And I have a whole lot of information about this in the book because it is super important. I love that self-care task. So for today, challenge yourself to see if you can go two hours, guys, with interrupting your thoughts, like, or an hour if you feel like, this is going to be a really hard challenge for you. Interrupt. Just do it once. Yeah. Catch yourself once. Because so many <laughs> of us, for me, I didn't even realize how mean I was being to myself until the first time I caught it. And then I was like, oh my gosh, did I really just like sat, you know, we can be really harsh on ourselves. So can you even just start to catch it, it once? once? That's perfect. Yeah. That's a win. Catch it once. Win. Perfect. Now, Here's the last thing that we end with. We always end with a play idea so we can pause, connect, and uh, be more present with our kids. Do you have a game or an activity that you're enjoying as a family right now? A play idea? Yes. (laughs) So I have two, actually. Okay. They both involve technology, which is really surprising to me because generally I'm like, no, no technology in play. <laughs> but um, the things that for me, I want play to be fun and I want it to involve our whole family. And the yeah. two that we're really enjoying right now, honestly, is um, we've been watching as a family, uh, we don't watch a whole lot of TV, but we have been watching Nailed It, which is a- Oh, it's so a funny. <laughs> on Netflix. And I will tell you, we get together and watch the show. It's only like 20 minutes mm-hmm. and we do it once or twice a week and we just laugh so hard. I love that. And I think that um, if you're, if you have younger kids and you're listening to this, just know that your time is coming where you can sit on the couch and watch something that you both find hilarious. Like you're not going to be stuck in cartoons forever. Nailed Why It not? is a great example of that. I... Yeah, that show is hilarious. It's hilarious. And the other one I would say is, can you find an audio book that you all enjoy for car rides or podcasts? Mm-hmm. So um, now these are for older kids, but I know there's also a lot for younger kids. So there's there are apps that you can download onto your phone, both obviously to listen to podcasts, mm-hmm. but also to check out audio books for free from your local library. So this doesn't have to cost anything if you have a library card. One of the podcasts, there are two that my daughters and I are really enjoying, and I know that even five-year-olds enjoy these. One is called Wow in the World. It's a kid's podcast that does science. They explore a scientific concept every week, but it's hilarious. 
And the other one is called Pants on Fire, where they bring in two experts, and one is telling the truth about a topic, and one is lying about the topic, and the kid has to figure it out. So we, and our whole family actually really enjoys trying to figure out who's the liar, and it's hilarious. Yeah, I actually, so if you listen to Pants on Fire, guys, you can pause it. That's what we do. We pause it a couple of times through, and like we debate within ourselves, like who... Who's the expert? Why do you think that person's the expert? It's such a good, big, juicy conversation with your kids and super enjoyable. Great ideas. Yeah. So we do like, and I find that if, and I feel like, especially at the end of the summer, parents are exhausted. They're kind of done with the whole parenting thing. You know, can we send the kids back to school? And so finding ways to share these experiences together. If you, if you're like, I need a freaking break. I can't entertain these kids anymore turn on a podcast, even if you're in the kitchen or wherever, turn on the TV show and everybody sit around, watch and enjoy it together. And that's a really different experience from, you know, putting your kid in front of the TV and then you going your own, doing your own thing, which is also an acceptable thing to do, right? You need to get absolutely fine. (laughs) Absolutely. um, You know, we're also doing a lot of hiking in our family right now, but I will say that you have, at least with our kids, you have to be willing to endure a fair amount of whining. So we need to pick a hike that's long enough that we can get through the whining phase and then get to the enjoyment phase. And you have to pack enough snacks, All probably. The All the snacks, right? Empty the pantry into a backpack <laughs> and off we go. I think that's the most honest answer about hiking. If you don't have enough snacks with kids, don't try it. Like, don't. hike with your whole pantry on your back. Yes, here child, have this bag of flour, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. They love that. excellent so take the time right now open up your browsers go order this book you can find it pretty much everywhere books are sold right absolutely it's available at amazon barnes and noble indiebound powell's if you want to get a free excerpt of my book before you pre-order it you can also go to carlanomberg.com and if you sign up for my newsletter uh, you will get a free excerpt from the book Excellent. You should totally do that and make sure that you have um, like Kleenex with you so you can laugh with this book because it is hysterical at times, guys. I was going to ask you if you had training in comedy because there are certain times I had to like not spit my drink out because you were (laughs) reading my brain and I was like, oh my gosh, like this feels like having a conversation with a good friend versus reading a book from from someone that's an expert that has a PhD so <laughs> that makes me so happy I have zero training in comedy but if you honestly want to know the biggest source of play in our lives it is humor I spend a huge amount of time cracking myself up um, <laughs> my older daughter I mean I do silly voices and terrible accents and I make awful jokes um, <laughs> And what I will say is my younger daughter still thinks I'm funny. My older daughter is rolling her eyes so hard, I think they're going to fall out of her head. Uh, (laughs) But my biggest form of play, and one that I'm deeply committed to, really on a very, like, every level is laughing. That is fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed this conversation. Excellent. Thank you, and um, go have an amazing day, guys. Bye.
For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.